If you're new here this morning, I just want to encourage you, this church is a Bible-centered church. And you say, well, aren't all churches? Well, maybe in name, but not oftentimes in their design of the way their service is made. The book of Isaiah says the way we are to learn the Bible is line upon line, precept upon precept. It isn't by entertaining sermons on catching the wrong bus to Cincinnati or putting Jesus in your pocket and climbing to the top, motivational speaking or some other self-motivational type idea, but really that we we study God's word, the Bible. Because the Bible, the Bible says, is what God is going to judge the world someday by. And we as his children as we rule and reign with Christ from Jerusalem for that thousand-year period of time, will be the administrators of God's law on this earth. It's good to know what your position will be and what you will be doing. Now, a lot of times, yes, we're going to go to heaven someday. There's a new heaven prepared for us. We all wait for that. We're going to get a new body one of these days. And for me personally, the sooner the better. I can do everything I did right now when I was 30. I just pay for it for about two months afterwards. And that's the problem. And you don't even have to be in your 60s to really begin to experience pain. Many of the people that have played sports and things, injuries, now arthritis in their 30s is setting in and they're going, oh, I need that new body. Well, the Bible's got some good news for you. You're going to get one. And I like that about what the Lord has prepared for us, not only in heaven someday, but for us personally. But now that we're going to rule and reign with him, what we need to be doing. Now, uh, we know, and again, if you're new here, maybe you're new to church, period. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. The only son he had didn't have many sons, Buddha, Muhammad, no, 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 no. Just one, one son, Jesus Christ. Whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That is great news that our old, our past can be separated from what God wants to do with you today. Now, many people, if you haven't realized this, you wrestle with your past. That's why the the psychologist's offices are filled, because people can't get free from their past, the wish of would-haves in their life. They look back over their shoulder and they go, oh, I've done so many mistakes and they haunt me today. Oh, if I could just get a brand new start. That's what Jesus Christ does. He gives us a brand new start, not just when we become born again, but as King David said, his promises are new every morning. God gives us a brand new start every morning, and that to me is great news. Now, the reason why I believe that's so important is because John 3.16 is not the full extent of us being born again. That's where it starts. You're born again, you're separated, but now as we begin to grow in our relationship with God, how then, what manner of people should we be? And I think that's really important. Now we can go to, again, motivational speaking, we can go to self-help courses, all this other stuff, 
But that isn't really what the Bible says, and we have to go back to what the Bible tells us is the way we are to mature and the way that someday you as a magistrate, as a judge, as an enforcer of God's law during the millennial reign of Christ, what to expect. These things that were written in the Old Testament, people say, well, we're a New Testament church. We don't even read the Old Testament. What a tragedy. Jesus said, search the scriptures in them. You think you have eternal life, but they are actually which testify of me. You know, I don't know if you ever remember, and I don't mean to diminish Jesus in any way, but do you ever remember when you were a kid, they had a whole bunch of little faces and there was a thing called fine Waldo. Anybody, maybe I'm the only one that had an underprivileged childhood that did this kind of stuff. I don't know, but fine Waldo. Well, actually, When we study the Old Testament, it's find Jesus. Because I believe Jesus is all the way through the Old Testament. In different ways, in different picture images. It's like, you know, the other day I was just kind of praying and I was just kind of thinking about the Lord. And and, um, I was thinking about how the Bible is written, I got to say this kind of like this, it's like written in code. And, And if you know the code, you can interpret it. What is the code? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wrote, inspired the writing of God's word. And when we have the Holy Spirit in us and we read the Bible, it doesn't look like a phone book anymore. It actually means something. That's so important. It's like the Ark of the Covenant. You know, God's giving Moses all the dimensions and the things about it, and it'll be made out of wood, and it'll be overlaid with gold and all this stuff. And people go, yeah, 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 I'm a New Testament Christian. I don't care about that stuff. No, no, no. You need to know about that stuff. What was in the Ark of the Covenant? The Ten Commandments. Now, it's interesting. The Bible says God's law is written on human beings' heart. Not just Christians, not just followers of Yahweh, but God's law is written on men's hearts. This is what makes us all human beings different than your cat, your dog, any animal. Because there's a God consciousness in us. Now, people can spend their whole life running as hard as they want in pot, drugs, booze, staying stoned, preoccupied yourself, education, all these things to run from what is really written in our heart. See, we know we wouldn't want somebody to kill us, so we don't want to kill somebody. We know we don't want somebody to steal from us, so we won't steal from somebody. That's the idea. God says he put that in our hearts. What's in the Ark of the Covenant? The Ten Commandments. All of a sudden, when I realized and I put that together, that if God wrote his law on men's hearts, could it be that the Ark of the Covenant is a picture type of our hearts? Well, what is our heart? Well, until we become born again, it's an old wood box. But you know, the Bible told Moses to overlay it with gold. And that gold, I believe, is the blood of Jesus in your life. Far more precious than any earthly metal, far more precious than silver or gold, but God covers our heart. We have inside of our heart his law. But what's else inside the Ark of the Covenant? A jar of manna. That's kind of a weird thing to put in the Ark, don't you think? 
the jar of manna. Interesting, Jesus said, I am the bread of life which came down from heaven. Speaking of how God fed the children of Israel in the wilderness, this place where we're kind of timeline-wise right now in the Bible, he fed them, and we find that Jesus Christ, the bread of life, in an earthen temple, our body, his body, they're also inside of our heart. But there was something else that was in there as well. And it was the rod that Moses used to govern the children of Israel. It is interesting that King David said, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. What does David mean by that in the 23rd Psalm? Well, a staff was that thing with the hook on the end where you know, you'd reach out and the sheep getting too close to the edge or over getting too close to the bad stuff would reach that hook around the sheep's neck and pull them back in line. That comforted David. God's ability to correct us. And by the way, if you're not a Christian here this morning, you need to think about that. Because if God isn't correcting you, who is? Because, friends, we all need correction. In fact, it's interesting, God calls us his children. What, if anybody here kids, you know what they constantly need, don't you? Is correction. Why? Otherwise, they break the windows out of your house, throw all your furniture out in the lawn, and burn your house down. That's the way it is without correction. Well, David said, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. God's ability to correct us. But greater than that is God's authority in my life. And Moses' rod was used over the Red Sea. When it parted, he held it over and the sea opened up uh, when he touched it. And then it opened up. And then he held his rod back over and the sea covered on the Egyptian army. That rod, again, God's authority, Jesus Christ in my heart, his law written on your heart. Man, I'll tell you something. Now, all of a sudden, those Old Testament definitions and pictures of the Ark of the Covenant mean something because that is where God dwelt. He dwelt there between the cherubim over the Ark of the Covenant. The Bible says he will not, and I wish so many religions today would get this. God says, I will not dwell in buildings made with men's hands. Isn't that weird? Yet look at today at the emphasis of religions. Here in Twin Falls, Idaho, around the world, their focus, their emphasis on the temple. Right? But do you realize something? It's plaster, two by fours, wood, carpet. The Bible says God will only dwell inside of you far more superior than plaster and sheetrock. He dwells in your heart, that type of the Ark of the Covenant, which was there where? In the Holy of Holies. That's who you are in Christ. Never forget that. You're special to God. And because you're special to God, he reserves his word for you and that Holy Spirit that causes these words to come alive. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word now, may your Holy Spirit speak to us. May these words come alive. May your same Holy Spirit that wrote these, inspired the writer, now speak to us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been looking at Exodus 20. Exodus 20 deals with the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, again, if you're new here, 
were never meant to justify man. It's very clear. I believe it's verse 15 in Exodus 20. It said, this is a test. This is a test to see if they truly love God, love their fellow man. Jesus, they came, a lawyer testing him, said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Now, Jesus looked at him and said, to love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit. And he said, the second is likened unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. For upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. So people that say, and they'll even approach you today, they go door to door. They'll say, well, truly, if you're really a Christian, you'll get back under the Ten Commandments again. Um, let me tell you something. When I went to high school, we went to college and we had tests. The test was not the ultimate outcome. The test was only to see if you learned what you were supposed to learn so you could do what? Graduate. As a graduate of high school or college, I don't want to go back under a test again to show if I was worthy to graduate. I graduated. You graduated. Your graduation came in Jesus Christ. The law was meant to show us how much we needed a Savior, how we could not save ourselves. Always remember that. That in the New Testament is what the book of Galatians is about. Galatia was in a region, an area there in southern Asia, uh, in, in the Middle East, and, and the churches that were scattered up. I think it's interesting about the book of Galatians that Paul writes to them plural because the Judaizers or those that were trying to get people to go back under the Ten Commandments again, under the law again, were very prolific. They were, they were everywhere. He didn't just write that to the Corinthian church. Oh, well, you know, you got these guys trying to get you to go back under the law, dietary laws and all these different things. No, it was a whole region because of this was a real problem. And it is today as well. There is something within us, I believe it's called pride, that says, look what I did. I am so good. I'm Captain Shiny Buttons. Look at me. I did this. I did this. I did this. This one checks out. Okay. But when you really look at what the Bible says, we're not justified by the law. We're, we're, we're found guilty. It's a test. Got some real important news for all of you. We all flunked. Except one. Jesus passed it. And Jesus wrapped us in his righteousness. He wrapped us in those A-plus grades that we needed to graduate. And so the test showed me I couldn't pass it. But God wrapped his righteousness around us and allowed us to pass. So then when we look at this, what manner of people should we be? Chapter 23 now we go through the Ten Commandments, uh, chapters 21, we find the different Chapter 23 now, it says, You shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. 
So two things. One, it's about as guilty to receive a false witness as it is to put your hand in with somebody who is generating a false witness. What that means is you don't want somebody backbiting you. Do we all agree that that ain't cool? You know, we don't know where the rumors are coming from. It's like the snipers that uh, were in Vietnam as the troops would go through the jungle and there would be a sniper in the jungle and they would pick off the soldiers one at a time. They never even knew who shot at them. Well, it's the same way a lot with gossip and false witness because you don't really know who's doing it. And so the best thing that we can do is stop it and don't ever put your hand in with that. Verse 2, you shall not follow the crowd to do evil. Wow. Do you get this? Don't follow the crowd to do evil. What do we deduce from this verse? Generally, the crowd wants to do evil. They do. You you look at it. Remember back in high school. Remember all those things that we went through. And today, it's, it's the crowd. It's the trend. It's what's popular. It's what Hollywood is generating. And we see, well, everybody's doing it, so therefore it must be okay. He said... You shall not follow the crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. Don't be a part of people's wickedness, is what it's saying. Don't follow the crowd. It's trendy. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're bad. Yeah, 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 I guess so. They're bad, they're bad, they're bad. You don't even know if they're bad or not. You're just repeating what the crowd says. So be careful of trying to win the popularity contest. Again, moms and dads, be sure to always encourage your children not to follow the crowd. It almost seems that, well, honey, if you do this, then everybody in school will like you. Well, I don't want you to do what everybody else is doing at school, and I don't care if they don't like you because God loves you and I love you. So he says, you shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. Now, as we read on here, you're going to find that can go both ways. Well, we want to favor the poor person. Later on, you're going to find out you don't want to favor a rich person either because really their monetary status does not determine justice. Now, today, we're, we're violating this. We have, have you heard the term social justice? that's going on. Well, that's social justice. You know, I was, honest to God, I was in the store the other night. I was in Target. And I was there and there was a whole group of kids about, I don't know, they were probably 15 years old. And they were literally going through the store, taking things off the shelf in the back part of the store where they have the candy bars. And they were just opening stuff, eating them, open boxes of crackers. They were eating it, throwing it. And I just go, you know, only in our society is this allowed to go on. And I go, first of all, how are these kids raised to think this is normal behavior, that you can just go through a store, eat stuff off the shelves, throw the wrappers on the floor, don't pay for anything, and this is okay. This is where we're at today as a society. Because we have violated this. Well, the store is rich, and these kids deserve to have free stuff. Social justice. That's not what the Bible says. 
The Bible says we don't show partiality towards a poor person any more than we should towards a rich person. Now, I know today that it seems that if you have enough money, you can buy your witnesses. It seems that if you can be poor enough, you can stick your bottom lip out far enough that you can get the entire whole team of the 49ers to set on it, and that some way will get you something. But the Bible says that is not what we should do. Again, you are executors of God's righteousness. You will, if you're a Christian here today, somewhere north of seven years of today, if the rapture came and the tribulation began, when Jesus comes back and sets up his thousand-year reign here on this earth, the Bible says you will rule and reign with him, and you will be the executors of his righteousness on this earth. That's what you're going to be doing. Now, yes, we're going to go to heaven someday. We're going to be able to go beyond the stars. I believe that comes in the new Jerusalem. But immediately what we're looking at is I believe we're going to be, and I believe that training that God's going to give us to rule and reign with him. Now he says, don't show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, kill it and take it home and eat it. No, it doesn't say that. It says, if you see your enemy's donkey, not not your buddies, your enemy's ox or donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. Well, I'll tell you what. The Bible you need is the Bible you read, and I don't like this verse, so let's just mark it out. Can't do that. What did Jesus say? Do good to your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. Why did he say that in the Beatitudes? Because this is the way God wants to minister to a world through his servants, you and me, to a world that doesn't know him. Your enemy's ox is out. Well, too bad for him. Hope a car don't hit it. (laughs) No, it says actually we need to help them corral it. What does that do to the person? Maybe that person won't be your enemy anymore. You never know down the road how that might change. And that person may be your friend or bring your animal back to you. So it says, if you see your enemy's ox, not your friend's ox, but your enemies, we are to be kind to those people because this reflects what? The king you serve. Again, being born again, becoming a Christian, John 3.16, is the beginning of our Christian experience. It is not the end of our Christian experience. Once we're born again, now we go in and God supernaturally puts a new heart in us and fortifies that heart with his word. Hey, love those who are mean to you. Well, that goes against everything my old sin nature says. Be mean to me, I'll be mean to you. But God says, no, you reach out your hand to them. You be the peacemaker. Because the Bible says that yours is the kingdom of heaven. So he says, if you see the donkey of one who hates you, Lying under its burden. In other words, this, what this means basically is that the donkey has been loaded up 
it is so heavy that it collapses and it can't get up again because the load is so heavy. I watched a video last night. I don't remember what it was about a tractor. And this guy was like over in India or something. And he had two big like semi loads of, of sticks piled. It looked like, like up eight foot tall and, and, uh, on these big trailers. And he was trying to pull it with like a little bitty tractor, like almost like what you'd mow your lawn with down some street in India. And you know, the tractor would raise up and it would move just a little bit. And then somebody would, you know, park in front of him and the tractor would go back down. And then he'd have, you see the engine. And and I just looked at it, I go, I go, man, that is like way, way too much for that little tractor to do. Well, the donkey, way, way too much. You know, maybe the owner's trying to double time it, overstacks it on the donkey, and the donkey collapses. Notice what it says. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden, and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help it. You shall surely help him with it. In other words, we are to come to the aid of someone, unfortunately, that does some dumb stuff. They overloaded their donkey. Their donkey collapsed under it. The guy's out there going, oh, what do I do? And we walk by going, sucks to be you. Bye. Well, what about the parable? Or not the parable, but the actual story Jesus gave. Remember, uh, because it doesn't say it was a parable, and I want to not to do that. Jesus said a man went from Jericho, uh, from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and it says he fell among thieves, and they robbed him, and they left him along the road half dead. It said a scribe came by, looked at him, went his way. Pharisee came by, looked at him, went his way. A Samaritan, one of the untouchables in society, those that were looked down upon because they were considered to be half-breeds, not fully Jews, not fully Gentiles, they were half-breeds. And a Samaritan came by, picked him up, put him on his own animal, took him to the nearest inn, said, listen, you take care of him, I will come back, I will give you whatever bill he runs up. You see, that, Jesus said, that's who is a real neighbor to somebody. So here again, we find the same thing. He said, you will help them. You will um, really reflect the love of your father there. Then he goes on and he says, verse 6, you shall not pervert the judgment of the poor in his dispute. Keep yourself far from false matter. Oh, friends, I think that's wise, wise, wise. Keep yourself from things that aren't true. You know, I don't go to a lot of places. You know, there's a lot of junk on the Internet. You know, but let me just tell you, you put garbage in, you're going to get garbage out. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's there. There's a lot of really heretical teaching that's on the Internet now. And people have all this different stuff. And so you want to be careful because it will pervert your judgment in the way you look at things because you've heard this stuff and you're in, well, maybe it could be true. Well, yeah, but it's probably really false. And that's something we need to be careful of. It says, you should keep yourself from a false matter. Do not kill the innocent and the righteous, for I will not justify the wicked. And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds 
and the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. So understanding that somebody that wants to give you something for a favor, be careful. Those are always very, very, I believe, dangerous things um, because, uh, again, we think, oh, well, that's easy money. It's fast money, but it's also money that perverts. Now, you as a magistrate in Jesus Christ's millennial reign, and you will be if you're a Christian, I promise you, you remember, write it down. October 31st, 2021, Mike Kessler said that I will be a magistrate, a a, a lawyer, a a judge, a a policeman, whatever it is in Jesus' millennial reign. Yes, you will be. Be careful because again, here it's where it says bribes are those things. Now, I don't believe you'll ever have a, a temptation to be bribed, but I believe that the people that you will govern over will. Now remember, during the millennial reign of Christ, there's going to be people on this earth, and you ought to think, oh, we live in a utopian age. Yeah, but you're, you're governing over people that are not born again. Yeah, the devil's been locked up for almost a thousand years, but remember, people still have their old sin nature, and that's what you're going to be the magistrates over as you minister under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So he says, take no bribe, bribe, bribes do bad things to you. Also, you shall not oppress a stranger, for you know the heart of the stranger, because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I remember I was singing one time to myself, we used to sing a song, I'll be no stranger there, no, I'll be no stranger there. Somebody says, well, you'll be no stranger there than you are here. Um, but... Um, the thing is, is that it feels it feels weird to be alone, you know? And, well, you're not one of us, so we ostracize you. Well, he says, remember when, when you first were whatever, what it felt like when you were strangers in Egypt. Now, verse 10, he goes on and he says, Six years you shall sow, your land and gather its produce. But in the seventh year, you shall let it rest and lie fallow and the poor of the people may eat and they may leave <clears throat> the beasts uh, of, of your vineyard and of, of your ground. So he says, um, six years and then you let the land have a break. And whatever grows up naturally from the seed that fell over the last year, if it grows up, you're not to touch that. You're to let the poor have that. Now, again, you have to think about this. During the millennial reign of Christ, the world's going to be filled with billions of people again. God will have a welfare system, not like we see now. Thank the Lord. If you don't work, the Bible says you don't eat. So in order for the people that are poor to not starve, the land lays rest, whatever naturally comes up, the people that are poor can go out, trespass on your field, and take whatever is there. You say, but, 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 but what about me? I, I, I've got, I've got to make, I've got to make good for that year. I, I mean, I've got, I've got the last six years, I have those, and I have bills to pay. You know what, what it's saying here is if you'll honor God in those six years, he will take care of you in the seventh year. And in fact, God holds this very seriously. 
Because the children of Israel profaned the land, the promised land that they moved into, Israel, and they didn't honor any of these Sabbath years of letting the ground lay fallow. And they were hauled off captive to Babylon, interestingly, for 490 years. 70 years they had just really disregarded that in the land of Egypt and God in the land of Israel God says I'm going to get my 70 years one way or another so God just took it all at once and the children of Israel clear out of Egypt or clear out of the land of Israel uh, when they were captive in Babylon so he says I'll take care of you literally and that they the poor may eat Then he goes on and he says in verse 12, six days you will do your work and on the seventh day you shall rest. Now, everyone, I don't think that this is necessarily a law because we remember what Jesus said about the Sabbath. The Sabbath was not made for God. The Sabbath was made for you. I like that. Isn't that a weird law? You have a law where God says, you will take a day off and I'm going to take care of you the other days. I'm going to bless you enough in those six days that on the seventh day you rest. Now, if you're a paramedic here, if you're a doctor, you're uh, something, maybe your day of rest is a Thursday or a Wednesday or whatever it might be. All I believe this is saying, just enjoy a day off a week and just thank God for what he's given you how he's blessed you. But God, you know, I got to keep my nose to the grindstone. I'm not going to make it unless I work every day. God says, you're not trusting me. You trust me and I'll make up the difference. And I've always seen God do that. And God has ways of blessing you and making up the difference that you don't even know about. I've shared so many times. I drilled a well one time and the guy comes to me and says, Mike, you need to get this big shutoff valve because there's going to be a lot of pressure and you need to get it and you need to get it fast. I didn't have the money to buy it. I asked him, I said, how much are they? He said, $3,000. Now this was back in like uh, 1985 and I, I didn't have that kind of money. You could buy a brand new Datsun pickup for $5,000. That was half the price of a car. And I didn't have that kind of money. And I, I go, God, I don't know what to do. I always took, did what God told me to do and everything like that. And, and uh, I went for a ride with my dad. We were down in Buell. We stopped by this guy that had a field of junk. And we, we walked out there. And I said, you don't have any big shutoff valves. And he goes, I just got some from the government a couple weeks ago. And I said, can I see him? And he walked out there. And exactly what I needed to the exact dimension. And I said, how much is that? It still had the tag on it, the the wire where the white dress tag was on it that said what it was. I said, how much you want for that? And he goes, $15. And I said, sold. And I said, you wouldn't happen to have the flanges that you weld onto the pipe and then you bolt that on there, do you? And he goes, I got those too. I said, how much are those? He goes, a dollar each. And I just went... And I walked away from there, not thinking what a good deal I got, but I walked away and it was like God saying, I have ways of taking care of you. You don't even know. And I go, God, you do this for everybody? (laughs) Yep, he sure does. You're on your way to the store and you see a yard sale and you pull over 
And here's a brand new or whatever you were going to go buy in the store sitting there on the shelf for a quarter. I don't know how God does it. But I know that if we'll honor him, the Bible says he will honor us. And this is one of the great things that we have in our God. The Bible says, and this is what is so foolish, friends, about the positive confession movement. Now, you may have heard it. You may not know what that is if you're new to Christianity. But that's where you have the different TV evangelists saying, well, if you just use the magic faith words that I tell you to use, just blab it and grab it, just focus on it. Every time you walk by your refrigerator, as you see that brand new Americanus Maximus picture that you cut out of the newspaper, sticking there on the wall, you walk by and say, that's mine. I'm claiming that car that belongs to me. It's modified witchcraft is what it is, friends. Because the Bible says, Jesus said, your heavenly father, and oh, this is so comforting, knows your needs before you ask. <laughs> I like that. You know, I, I, I look at my life sometimes. I've been a Christian a long time. And I have been embarrassed sometimes in the way that I've talked to God. You ever do that? You get mad at God, get your nose in a knot. You feel God shorted you in some way, and, 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 and you know, God, you, you shorted me. You didn't do what I wanted you to do. And, and, and you know, when I, I think back, and I think, God, now I got to tell you exactly what I want because you, <laughs> you can't figure it out. God knows what I need before I ask. And so all God's called me to do is stay faithful to Him. I don't even know. Really, you know, when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, when he said, <clears throat> give us this day our daily bread. You know, friends, that's our daily sustenance. Do you know, I don't really know what my daily sustenance is. Do you know why? Because I don't know what that day will hold. Coming up here in a month and five days, I died. I was clinically dead for two minutes. When I got up that morning, I never in a million years thought or dreamed that I would need a really good heart doctor to put a stent in my heart when I got up that morning. And didn't I, it was the farthest thing from my mind. Got up and told my wife, I said, you know what? I said, I feel the best I've felt in about four weeks because I had COVID about two, uh, about uh, right before Thanksgiving and I was over it, started feeling better. Told her, I said, man, I feel the best. It was the 5th of December. I said, I feel the best now that I've felt in four weeks. Two hours later, I was dead. Heart attack. Just a COVID clots. That's one of the things COVID does is it clots your blood. Uh, and uh, it, it's scary stuff. And, and by the way, I'm not a doctor. Don't do this unless your doctor says. But my doctor told me, had you been eating a, a baby aspirin a day, a baby aspirin, if you're over 50, you should eat a baby aspirin. That's what he told me. He said, probably would have never had a heart attack because it helps thin your blood just enough that it wouldn't, wouldn't happen. But I got a COVID clot. Gave me what was called the widow maker. Only 14% of the people who get that live. And if you live, you're an invalid because you've had so much heart damage. 
And I, I went in. I, I didn't even want to go in. We were going to go to Hawaii. And I, I told my wife, I said, I don't want to go in the emergency room with all them sick people. I get sick and then I'll be in sick in Hawaii. I don't want to do that. And so I'm sitting out there arguing with her why I don't want to go in. And all of a sudden, here it comes again. It started hitting harder and harder. And I said, okay, I'll go in. And I walk in. I was having a heart attack. And man, I'll tell you something. That was the, give us this day our daily bread. I don't know what my daily bread is. I don't know what I need every day. And for me to set myself up in the place of God, ordering God around, I want this, I want that, I claim this, I claim that. Friends, I'll tell you, it's dangerous stuff. You know, I found it's a wonderful thing to let daddy be daddy. You got a father in heaven that loves you, that knows what you need before you ask. Now, if you had a wonderful earthly father, that concept is a pretty easy jump. If you've had a terrible earthly father, maybe a drunk, or you never knew your dad, or he'd come home and and, and throw you against walls, or never show up, or abandon your mom, I believe today that's why there is such an attack on the father image in our world and in our culture today. All your TV programs picture fathers as idiots. That wasn't the way it was 50 years ago or 60 years ago. Your father knows best, my three sons, the Andy group. Dad always had the right answer. Not anymore. Dad's the idiot in the room. Of all the people, a 13-year-old kid knows way more than dad does. Don't listen to your father. But there's a reason behind it in Esther. Because that's how God wants us to relate to him as our father in heaven. Our father, which art in heaven, see? But if you have a bad concept of a father, or you didn't have a dad, then all of a sudden, that's a hard thing to understand. Well, I got good news for you. You have a dad in heaven that loves you, that has described what he is like here in this word, that says that he loves you, and he wants to take care of you. You see, God, in this last verse we read, verse 9, doesn't want us to oppress the stranger. How much more would God never oppress you as his own child? Because he loves you. It's God's good pleasure to provide for us. And you know, the more you fall in love with your daddy in heaven, the more you realize his divine providence in your life. You see, that's what's good. This morning, if you've never never accepted Christ as your Savior, we're going to stop here. I'm sorry we didn't get through the chapter, but as we look at this, because next week we're going to go into more of the of the the those special times three of them that the children of Israel were to honor they had three festivals they had passover they had first fruits and then they had the ingathering which was like our thanksgiving they had that but Jesus was the fulfillment of all those Again, search the scriptures. Hey, it was Jesus all along. Passover, the blood on the doors. That was Jesus' blood. First fruits, Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Spirit was given to the believers. Wow. 
God's got good things for you. You have a dad in heaven who loves you. He knows what to give me to not spoil me, but give me everything that I need. And like I shared, I don't always know what my daily needs are, friends. But as Jesus said, your heavenly father knows what you need before you ask. You know, it's really amazing that again, when I went to the hospital, the doctor put the, the, put the stents in, happened to be there. He wasn't on call. He'll be there in an hour. He was there. And you start looking and go, God, how do you do this? That's God. And he'll do it for you. He'll do it for those that you lead to Christ. He'll do it for anyone that will just simply say, Daddy. This morning, if you honestly can't say Daddy, because you're serving yourself, man. You're saying, no, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the one calling the shots here. Hey, I've learned something. One thing life will show you is that you can't call the shots because you don't know what's going to happen to you in two hours. The last thing, honest to God, the last thing, I, the very last thing that I thought of, that Saturday morning when I got up, I was going to die in six hours. I had no idea. No idea. But in Christ, it didn't matter. And I just want to encourage you today. You don't know what's going to happen from now. So what I want to encourage you today is put your life in God's hands. You trade away something you can't keep for something you will never lose. What a deal. What a deal. And let God be God in your life. You have a father that loves you, that will meet her. And God, you know, if God takes something out of your life, don't get mad at God. I don't know why he took it out of your life. Maybe it was a person. Maybe it was a place. Maybe it was a thing. Don't get mad. Because a couple reasons. One, you don't know what that thing, person, or place would have done to you if it remained in your life. Number two, we only have so much ability to contain. And if I'm holding on to the wrong things, God tears it out of my hands. That leaves my hands open to take what he's going to give me. Novel concept, but it's true. And if I'm too busy holding on to imitation ice milk, I'll never have the real ice cream. And I am convinced that our society, our world following the crowd that's already evil is so content with imitation ice milk, they never get the cream that comes from the Father. I would just invite you today to consider Jesus. The Bible says if we'll confess our sins, he's faithful, just to forgive us our sins. Cut that pass so I can have a new beginning every day. Won't hold me back anymore. And let God do something brand new in your life. If you need to pray today and get right with God, we're going to pray. You can repeat this in your heart. You can speak it out loud and say, Lord, I want you in my life. That's what the Bible says. If we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Brand new clean slate. You need that. I need that. I need that every day. So this morning, if you've never prayed, we're going to pray. And you can ask Christ to come into your life. The Bible says we repent of the foolish way we lived. I'm calling the shots. Hey, listen, I don't know what's going to happen an hour from now. I don't want to call the shots. 
I want God to call the shots. He knows what I need before I ask. That's what's so good about being in Jesus. Oh, every one of us, I just ought to make you want to just dance out of here on top of the donut that you just got. Because God takes care of us. You know, I thought it was really interesting. Yesterday, October, 65 degree day. We needed that. I got up this morning and it was raining and I thought, you know, Lord, just one day makes all the difference. If you're not a Christian, you can't pray this prayer fast enough. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Please forgive my sins. They've been great and they've been many. And I'm sorry. I've tried to live it my way. I'm sorry. From this day forward, I commit my life into your hands. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. And his blood covered my sins. And rose from the dead to give me life every day. So now fill me with your Holy Spirit. That I would love you more and I would love my fellow man more as we read today from your word. To not hate my enemy, but to love them and reach out to them. And thank you for eternal life. I spend eternity with you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen.